I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 25, Psalm 25, and I have to say it is good to be back with you this morning and to share with you and to come back to what almost seems like family to us now. And I learned a couple of things I didn't know before just by being here this morning. I was greeting some people and someone asked me if I was Scandinavian. And I said, yes, I was. And then they asked if I was Swedish and I had to confess, no, I wasn't Swedish. I'm Norwegian. And when I did that, the one person standing next to us said, well, my breed of horses is Norwegian. <clears throat> So I found out I'm related to a breed of horses, and I never knew that before. The other thing that was interesting, which I never knew before, was that I'm the king. Um, <laughs> that's going to change everything, staff. <laughs> now that I know that, that's going to change how we do things. Um, but what a joy to be back here and to share with you and to have this time with you. Now, I'm not going to read Psalm 25 because we're going to look at almost every verse as I go through the message this morning, but I would encourage you at some point during the course of this day or maybe tomorrow morning or whatever that you might read the whole psalm together after you catch what I have and what I want to say this morning, and there is an outline that will give you some guidance in the bulletin this morning, and you may want to look at that as we're going. And the way I look at outlines for most people would be to encourage you to uh, just put down one thought that you want to hang on to. Um, you cannot outline this like you're going to a course, through a course in school or anything like that. But if there's one thought that grabs you and one thought you want to remember, then write that down on your outline so that you can reflect on that and think about that. And that might be helpful to you during the week. Now, when we get to Psalm 25, we have a psalm that is a thoughtful prayer by one who knows that the only adequate foundation for a worthwhile life is God. And so David in Psalm 1 says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, and in you I trust, O my God. David is expressing right from the start that he has a real hunger for God. He's expressing that he wants to know everything he possibly can know about God because as he fights the battles of life, as he goes through some of the struggles of life, even as he goes through some of the joys of life, those joys and those struggles and battles are going to be incomplete unless he knows God's mind and God's heart and how to handle all that stuff that comes to a life like yours and mine in God's love. So then he goes on to let us know that he has a real hunger for God and that he wants to learn everything he can about God when we see verse 4 where he says, God, I want you to show me your ways and I want you to teach me your paths and I want you to guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. Then David lets us know that if we will come to God in that way, if we will open our hearts to him and, and just know that he's all important in our lives and determine we're going to follow him and we're going to go his way and we're going to do what he says and we're going to take the word of God and we're going to read it and when we read it, we're going to find a practical application in it and then we're going to take that practical application and live that out in our lives when, and we're also in the process going to be gathering truth 
because we want to know the truth. We want to know what is believable. We want to know what we can hang on to. We want to know what is always going to be right, no matter which way we go. And so he's, he says, if we come to God asking him to, to meet our need and to teach us and to show us the truth, he's going to do exactly that. It's very interesting that prior to coming here to Elam, I was over at Calvary Church in uh, St. Cloud, and because there's a university in that town, we had quite a few university students in our worship services. What was interesting about those students is all of them came to church with a notebook. And as I was teaching and sharing on Sundays, they were taking notes. And from time to time, one of them would come up to me afterward and they say, could you share a little bit more about this or could you share a little bit about that? And they wanted to know the truth and they were digging for truth. It was very encouraging to see that age group in our society searching for truth as much as those kids were, but that's where they were. And David says, when we come to God in this way, when we approach him openly like this, and we really want to know who he is, he honors that. Look at in verse 8. He says, he's just ready to instruct sinners in the way they should go. And in verse 9, he's going to teach those who are humble his ways, and he's going to open up his, his life for them as they go through that struggle. And in verse 10... It says he's going to guide us in the way that is chosen for us. He's always going to be there for us. He's always going to be in every circumstance. You may come up against something that just seems unbelievable to you, and you can't believe that if you go down the right track, this is what it's going to mean. This is what it's going to take. But God says when you do that, I'm going to reinforce that in your heart. I'm going to reinforce it in your mind. I'm going to guide you through that whole process. So the psalm, first of all, has to do with guidance. It's how do we live out our lives to please God, and how do we live out our lives in order to be blessed by God, and we want that to be the major thought in our minds. If we're going to have guidance, if we're going to have God's blessing, if we're going to have God's power, what does it take? And the first point is that I want to make this morning is that that involves trusting God to the end. You're going to see that in verse 2, you're going to see it in verse 3, you're going to see it in verse 20. In verse 2, David's talking about the need to trust God. Do you really trust God? When you come up against something you don't know how to handle, do you trust God? Who do you trust in that situation? Verse 3 talks about his hope is in God. When you cannot see what's coming, when you cannot put your life together, when you cannot handle things and you're not even sure what way is right, can you hope that God is going to be there for you and as you open your heart to him, he'll take you through that process? Verse 20, David says, I'm in this, this thing with God because that's where I take refuge. When I can't put answers out there, when I can't put life together, when I can't seemingly know the direction that this is all heading in my life, can I trust God in that situation? And can I go to him and know he's my refuge and he's going to get, get that, I'm going to get through. Now, David is wrestling with a lot of issues. 
And I can picture him here being alone because he's taking quite a bit of time as he writes this all out for us. And he's taking quite a bit of time to be quiet before God and he's meditating on God. He's gotten away from all the people around him. He's gotten away from all the leaders. He's gotten away from everything and everybody. And he's just looking at God's word and he's looking at ideas that that are going to come to his mind and his heart. He's just meditating on God and he's meditating on life. Interestingly, as he does that, that word shame comes to his mind. Now, you see that over and over again, especially in verse three, 2 and 3. You've got to notice this is prevalent to him because just in those two verses alone, he uses the word shame three times, and when you drop down to verse 20, he's bringing it up again, and he's saying, Oh, God, let me not be put to shame. Now, when we hear that word shame or ashamed, we think of it as being embarrassed or feeling foolish, but that's not the meaning of it here. That is the meaning of it when you get over into the New Testament and into the Greek, and it is the meaning that we see over and over again in the New Testament. For instance, the Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But here, and in the Hebrew language, it has to do with not being let down or not being disappointed. It's like trusting in something and in the end it proves unworthy of your trust. It's the opposite of that. In David's case, what he's doing is he's making the point that those who stake their life, they're all on God. Those who decide to follow him at all costs, they need to know they are never going to be abandoned by God. They are never going to be let down by God. God is never going to be ashamed of them. God is not going to abandon them in the end. Now the question might be surfacing in your mind, why is David, who is supposed to be a man who walks with God and trusts in God and writes these psalms and does all this stuff, why is he thinking like this? Why does he get himself into a position where he thinks he might be abandoned by God? Why would he think like this? Well, there might be several reasons. He gives us some hints in here, so we can pick out two or three of them, but I want to just take two this morning. And the first one comes in verse 2, and it comes in 19, and it's subtle in verse 15. And he says in those verses that, in fact, look, look at verse 15. He refers indirectly to this subject when he says, Only he will release my feet from the snare. And what is the snare? It's enemies. He's got enemies everywhere he turns. And enemies can come in a number of ways and come in a number of forms. It can be people who, who oppose us. An enemy can be someone who just doesn't support us when we need support. An enemy can be someone that, that gets in the way of our life when we're trying to put it together and put it right. An, an enemy can be those who oppose God's way of life. And a lot of us, as you get out into the workaday world and during the course of the week, and you're with other people, you find that they oppose everything that you would like to do and you would like to be. And that's kind of tough, and sometimes they turn out to even be the enemy. Temptation can be the enemy. Money can be the enemy. Success can be the enemy. Lust can be the enemy. There are all kinds of things that can be an enemy for you and for me out there. But our, and our greatest enemy is probably Satan himself and that old sinful nature that is within us. 
Now, what David is probably talking about here, because you'll see it tucked into this psalm over and over again, is all those people who are trying to oppose him. He's got enemies everywhere he turns. He's got people that no matter what he does, he's wrong around him. He's got people who no matter how he directs the country, no matter what he thinks is best, that those people are going to oppose him and his ideas and his thoughts. I've watched this happen sometimes to pastors as they're pastoring churches, and they're, they're thinking all the time about the 95 or the 96% of the people and what do they need and how are, things, how are things going to have to work for them and what changes do we have to make so those kind of needs are met in our day. And as soon as they make a change and as he works with the board and they decide together, this is what we need to do. There's always that 3% or that 4% who oppose them. And what happens to those pastors is exactly what happens to David here. He gets very, very weak and distraught. He gets disappointed in himself when he's facing all these obstacles. And he starts questioning himself. And he starts wondering, am I doing the right thing? And he wrestles with that, and as he wrestles with that, he gets disappointed with others who are always putting him down. And when that happens, he begins, as you and I also do, to wonder about God and to question God. Is God really in my life? If God's really in my life, why is it like this? And why am I wrestling with all these issues? And why do I have all this opposition all the time when I'm only trying to do what I know God wants me to do? Well, David's concerned about all that, but he's also concerned about something else because it keeps coming out in his, in his psalm too. Notice he's concerned about his sin, and his sin might be making him very weak. In verse 10, 7, he talks about the sins of his youth. He looks back, and there's sin back there, and somehow he, he, he knows he's forgiven, and yet he's not sure. Verse 11, he's asking God to, again to forgive all of his iniquities. In verse 18, he's saying, oh God, take away all of my sin. And sometimes, you see, when we're young, we don't realize how tremendous our enemies can be. And we don't realize how damaging some of our wrong decisions can be. And we don't realize how destructive sin is. So we've got millions of people today walking across our streets in this nation who are in their 30s, and when they look back on their life, wish they wouldn't have made this decision at 16, and wish they wouldn't have gone in this direction at 18 or 19, and wish they wouldn't have been so stubborn and insisted on their way in the 20s because they knew, they thought they knew they were going in the right direction, but it turned out to be just heartbreak as they went down the road. And as we get older, like David, we see how formidable those enemies can sometimes be. The world is our enemy. The world is our enemy because as you and I travel in this world, there's a lot of people around us who don't want what's good. And they certainly don't want what's godly. And you've got to face that all the time. The devil is real. He's a tremendous enemy. And he's going to be just putting confusing thoughts in your mind all the time. Do I really have to be this? Should I really do this? Is this really the right way to go? Is there other options? And he'll get you talking to others 
who could be your enemy too because sometimes a friend, even a friend is a real enemy because they don't help you face the odds. They'll try to figure out an easy way out for you. And when we get thinking like that, even memories can be a problem. And then there's that old sinful nature that we're all dealing with. And when we get wrestling with issues, sometimes we get very vulnerable and we might wonder, can I really stand against this? Can I really go the right way? Is God going to really be there for me and not be shame or not abandon or disappoint me when I do what's right? What if God would remember these past sins and every time he sees me, that's what he thinks? And he's constantly looking back as I'm looking back. What if God down the road, if I do the right thing, would be unwilling to really help me get through that? I wonder if you've ever felt like that. That's kind of what's going on here with David. He's, and he's feeling this frustration, and he even, in his weakness, gets to a point where he says, oh, God, would you abandon me? Protect me from shame. Will you always care for me? Well, David doesn't stay in that position, and he doesn't stay with those questions. And even though he's honest and open and he faces them and he'll bring them out, whatever he's wrestling with, he's going he's gonna to mull them around in his mind and all of that. Even so, he's going to get back to what he knows he ought to do. So in verses 4 and 5, he says, I want you to show me your ways, O Lord, and I want to guide you to guide me in your truth. Now David knows when he says that, he's not really going to be abandoned because this is not a psalm of anguish it's a psalm really of mature trust in God it's a psalm filled with instruction for you and for me and it's David wrestling with God but being honest with God and open with God and letting it all hang out and yet at the same time he knows look at verse 3 no one whose hope in you O Lord will ever be put to shame. No one whose hope is in you, O oh God, is ever going to feel like God is going to abandon them. You might get weak. You might get frustrated. You might get up against it. And a sudden, quick thought like this might come to your mind. But you're not going to hang there. You're not going to stay there. You're not going to work that. Because you know that's just not going to happen. You see, that fear is left to those who won't trust God. That fear is left for those who won't put their faith in Jesus Christ. That fear is left for those who couldn't care less if God is in their life or not. They're going to have to wrestle with that issue. The other side of this is God is not going to abandon us. And if we're going to have that confidence, however, and if we're going to trust to the end, and if we're going to walk through this life without fear, then we also have to realize what David is showing us here is that we need constantly to be available to God and we need to be taught by God. So in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of all that's going on with him, he says in verse 4, show me your ways, teach me your paths. Verse 5, guide me in your truth, teach me. And then verse 21, 
Protect me with the integrity and the uprightness of an almighty God like ours. In other words, God's not going to let him down. And God's not going to let you down. God's not going to abandon you or disappoint you, but notice this blessed blessed truth of perseverance and hope and trust is not something that's automatic. It's something that requires some responsibility on our part. It requires that we're in the Word of God. It requires that we're learning. It requires that we're trying to walk in obedience as we read the Word of God day by day. It requires that there's trust on our part. I may have to walk into a, a, a path that, that just doesn't seem like there's an answer, but I'm with God. He's with me. We're going to make this together, no matter what it costs. Dr. Ortberg is someone who's writing a lot of books these days, and that's good because he's a great writer and he's a great preacher out on the West Coast. I love what he writes, and and one of the phrases in one of his recent books was this, people do not drift into a full devotion with Christ. Keep that in your heart and mind. People do not just kind of drift into a full devotion of Jesus Christ. It's something that requires responsibility. Notice, when David takes time to be alone, he gets quiet. He meditates. He keeps talking to God. He empties out all the issues of life. He doesn't demand answers. He asks for direction. That's one of the major differences between David and us. We're always asking God for answers. Why this? Why that? God, how are you going to work this out? How are you going to work that out? David is always saying, God, teach me. Teach me. I got something to learn as I go through this. You see, his whole approach is different. David's approach is not to demand answers, but to ask for direction over and over and over again. I want the one who can instruct me. I want the one to tell me what to do who knows the beginning and the end. I want the one who's got all power to tell me how he's going to use that power in my life. But tell me what I got to do too. That's David's attitude. And notice what he learned as he opened his heart up to God in that way. The psalm was just filled. Verse 3, he learned God is faithful. He'll be there. Verse 4 and 5, God is truth. And if I want to know the truth, and if I want to know what's right, I'm going to get it from God. Verse 5, God is my Savior. Verse 6, God is merciful, and God is loving. How many times have you thanked him for that? One of the sweetest prayers I heard was, was a person who was near death and, and they were a very simple person and had very little education but they had followed the Lord all of their lives and shortly before they died their prayer was God, thank you for loving me all these years. How thankful are you that God loves you just the way you are? Verse 8, he says, God is good. God is upright. Verse 10, God is loving and faithful in all his ways. Verse 11, thank goodness God is forgiving. Verse 14, God is open with his people. In fact, he's so awesome that he freely confides in his people. Just think, God wants to confide in you. Verse 16, God is gracious. God, verse 20, God is powerful to rescue his people over and over again. Therefore, he is the one in whom you and I can take refuge in. Now, because it's Communion Sunday, let me go back to um, 
verse 6 where it says God is merciful and loving and where it says in verse 8 God is good and that is why he's willing to forgive us of our sin and to bring us into a relationship with himself. Now, when you, when you look at verse 8, it says God is upright, which means he's just. So there's the question that comes. If God is just, and how can God be just and want to save us? Doesn't justice require him to condemn us because of our sin? And the answer is yes. But God is above our thinking in every way, and he solved this problem, which we're going to celebrate in a minute through Jesus Christ. Christ came and died for us in our place, taking the punishment we deserved. And God says now he can look on us because of our substitute as people who are saved in Jesus Christ and can come into his holy presence it's amazing why would God want to do that for me why would he want to do that for you well how do we receive the blessing let me quickly take you through four steps um, there's a lot more I could say but, but let me take you through verse 9 where it talks about humility who gets the blessing of God? Who gets the direction of God? It's those people who come to him realizing they're a sinner and they don't forget that. But realizing that they have a savior who has forgiven them and so they come humbly realizing as they come that God will guide them and teach them as they open their hearts to him. And there is no promise in the Bible that God's going to teach anyone who's arrogant, anyone who's just all set on himself. James 4, 6 says, in fact, God opposes the pride, proud, but he gives grace to those who are humble. So we have to come in humility. But secondly, we come in obedience. Verse 10. The reason many of us do not learn very much about God's ways is that we are not ready to obey him. Uh, we want to know what he has to say before we will obey it and we want the options open for us sometimes so that we can take the track that might even be the sinful track. It was amazing when I was pastoring a church down in Orlando, Florida. We had a lot of Navy personnel in our church because there's a Navy base down there. And a lot of these young fellows were coming. And some of them were, were genius-type guys who were working on submarines. And others were dealing with just natural life and normal life in the Navy and going out on one trip after another on those boats. But it was amazing as they get clustered in these boats and in these submarines, the temptations they get, and they would often come in and talk with me. And as we talked together and as we shared together, it was amazing also how many times they, they knew what they were supposed to do before they came. They knew what was right before they came. They knew what God would expect of them before they came. But they would come in and they would talk with me and they, they would say, is, do I really have to do that? Or what is wrong with that? And they were just hoping that I would say in one way or another, listen, a little wrong isn't going to hurt you at all. And when I would say, listen, listen to the word of God, don't listen to me, listen to the word of God, yeah, I could see it would often be a real struggle for them. But it was amazing how they'd get on that ship and that's how they would live. 
I had a woman come to me one time in Menominee, Michigan, when I was helping a church there, and her life was just torn up, and I could see it. And, and one day, she came up to me and said, could I come and talk with you? And when she came, she just unloaded about all kinds of past sin, and she unloaded about some current things that were going on in her life. We dealt with the past sin, and we went to Jeremiah 33, 8, where it says, I will cleanse them from all the sin they have committed against me, says God, and I will forgive all their sins of rebellion against me. So God promised to forgive sin. And not only to forgive sin, but to forget the sin, and we dealt with that. And then we went to Hebrews 8, 12, where it says, For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. But then we dealt with the present. And as she was dealing with the present, I took her over to Hebrews 13 and said, We've got to wrestle with some issues that are going on right now. And she just listened very intently and didn't give me any indication of what she would do. But we prayed together, and then she went out the door. About a month or two later, I saw her at church, and she was a new person. And I went up to her, and I said, Mary, you just look like a woman of peace. What's happened? She said, let me come again and talk to you. So we did. And when she came, she said, I had the toughest time with our discussion. But I went home, and the man who's been living with me and she's in her mid-50s, which was out of convenience because I needed the rent. But it turned into be more than that. And I knew it was wrong all along. I asked him to leave the week after our discussion. I asked him to move out. And I just told him that I've been wrong and I've lived a life that hasn't been right and hasn't been pure and I can't keep doing that. And he didn't want to get married. And she said... I asked him to leave, and I knew the rent, which paid most of my house bill, was going out the door. She said, but I got to tell you how much God has helped me and where the resources have come from. It's been the greatest step I've ever taken. God is so faithful. And now I'm forgetting about the past, and I'm forgetting about that sin, which is not that easy right now, but I'm working on it because I'm concentrating on obedience. And obedience works because I know he works and I can trust him. So it takes obedience. The third step is reverence, 12 and 14. We don't hear this much anymore, but I think we've got to remember who God is. If we're going to get to know him, we, we can't just say, well, he's, he's awesome and he's, he's some celestial buddy that we all have. No, God is above all of us. God is all-powerful. God is strong in every way. God is omnipotent. God is everywhere at once. God is, is beyond what you and I can even imagine. And when we come to him in prayer, the awesome thing is he wants to give us his strength. He wants to give us that power. He wants to give us his truth. He wants to give us his knowledge. He wants to just give and give and give. But we've got to realize who he is. So we realize what we're getting because he's not only all that, he knows us by name and he wants to pour himself into our lives. But we can't forget who he is and how powerful and wonderful and majestic he is. 
And then that leads to verse 15 where it talks about expectation and hope. We come, if our eyes are ever on the Lord, then our hearts should be filled with expectation for he gradually is going to release us of all the snares, the entanglements, the troubles, anything this world can throw at us. So we can be expectant. And that's why he says in verse 22, O God, redeem me from all of my troubles And David knows God will do just that. Because he's already said in Psalm 9-9, the Lord is a refuge, a stronghold in times of trouble. And in Psalm 91-15, it says, "He he will call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and I will honor him as he lives out his life. I hope you're connected that way to our God. I hope you see him that way. I hope you read this psalm two or three times in the next week or so and just realize all that he wants to do for you as you live out your life in a very troubled world day in and day out. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for who you are and all that you are. And sometimes... We're so wrapped up in what you can provide for us that we forget to just realize who you are. God, open our eyes to see the God that we have and the love that we have from you and the direction we can have from you and help us to see all the power and strength that can come from you and just anoint us with your power and your strength and your blessings And just take us through whatever it is we're facing right now. We pray in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Please stand and join me as we prepare for.